Do we have rules for life? What about other areas of life? I would imagine that if, if you leave today and you drive a car, you'll be glad that there are rules for the road, right? That there are rules in other areas of life. Uh, there's a lady by the name of Edith Kirkmeyer. I have a picture of Edith. Uh, Edith passed away a few years ago at age 107. And Edith, she drove until the end of her life, had to renew her license at age 105 and pass the test with flying colors. Toward the end of her life, the very end, she did start to have a younger lady carry her around as her health began to deteriorate. It was a friend of hers, and this again was a younger lady. She was 101 years old. Um, but, you know, when Edith got too old to drive, she got uh, this younger lady to drive her around. In 88 years of driving, Edith never was in an accident, never got a parking ticket or any other moving violation of any kind. 88 years of driving. Now, how many of us here today could say that? <laughs> Notice I'm not raising my hand. 88 years of driving. Now, here, this is interesting. Shortly before her death, Fox News interviewed her, and here's what she said. She said, when I learned to drive, there were no rules for the road. The roads were narrow. There were no speed limit signs or anything like that. Can you imagine driving with no rules? No speed limits, no rules to guide you. Well, Edith saw that and saw that change over time. Can you imagine life with no rules? with no rules to guide us, to safeguard us, to show us what to do and what not to do. Well, as we've seen over the past several weeks, that's what the Ten Commandments do for us. They give us rules for life. We've seen Edith and how she saw the rules for the road evolve, created and evolve over time a lot in those 88 years of driving. And we have seen and are looking at how God gives us rules for the road of life and shows us how to stay within the bounds the boundaries, and stay safe. But we do have rules. He's given us rules of the road, rules for the road of life in the Bible. There are a lot of different rules that we find in here, but they can all be narrowed down and fit into the categories of these Ten Commandments. We see how he narrows all of these rules down. And this morning, we're going to look at one very narrow section. Uh, the rule, the Ten Commandment that deals with sexual immorality, adultery specifically. And this is a, a touchy subject. This is a sensitive subject. We're not going to pull any punches. We're going to talk about some sensitive issues today. We're going to do it respectfully, and we're going to do it tactfully. But we need to know what God has to say about the marriage relationship and His design for sex within the marriage relationship. We're going to look at the seventh commandment this morning. In our series on the Ten Commandments, we continue and we've seen and are seeing how God, these rules for the road of life are meant as a blueprint to live a morally excellent life, a blueprint for a morally excellent society. The Ten Commandments were never meant to save us. They are God's standard. They show us, they point us to Jesus, show us our need for salvation. We should always place them right beside the gospel, but they are just as relevant today as they were when God gave them to Moses. After you're saved, the Ten Commandments guide believers on God's right road, and they guard believers against the world's wrong road. They show us how to live in a way that pleases Him. They show us how to live a life that's meaningful, but full and abundant and joyful. 
And we've seen that they have, can, we can divide them into two different categories. The first four deal with loving God and relating to Him. The last six deal with loving others and relating to others. And today we look at the marriage relationship. The seventh commandment, that you shall not commit adultery. No other sin in Israel was dealt with such horror as this commandment. This was serious business, and it should be today. It is serious business in God's eyes. And this commandment, as with others, we see a negative and a positive. The negative is this. The negative is that you cannot have sexually intimate relationships outside of marriage. The positive is, is that you can experience the joys of sexual intimacy inside the marriage relationship with your spouse the way that God intended. The question, are there any rules for the road? Well, are there any rules for relationships? Are there rules that God gives us for the marriage relationship? There are, but what we've seen in our culture today is that Satan has distorted the biblical view of the marriage relationship. And not only do we have no rules for the road, we've driven the car straight off into the ditch. We, we've, we've gotten so far away in our culture, in many areas, away from God's intent, His design for the marriage relationship and sexual intimacy within that relationship, that it is in many ways a foreign concept. And the, ca- the, the consequences are catastrophic. We're, we're faced and we've seen this reality that freedom, it's freedom to do whatever you want in our culture, choose what's right for you, but freedom without some form is chaos. Freedom without any type of order leads to chaos and destruction. So we have a choice to make. We can either go with culture's definition, which is follow your heart, follow man's way, even though the Bible tells us the heart can be deceiving, and we are sinful, so we can either go with that definition as it relates to the marriage relationship, follow man's ways, or we can go with Christ's design, which is follow God's word. What does God's word have to say about the union between husband and wife. And that's what we're looking at this morning. God's design. God created sexual intimacy as a wonderful, beautiful, enjoyable gift, an enjoyable thing. And he's given us a huge road sign with the seventh commandment. Let's look at that this morning. We're going to look at the characteristics of this commandment. The first is this. This commandment is simple. It is a simple commandment. Don't commit adultery. Any sexual union, sexual relationship outside of the marriage relationship is sinful, plain and simple. This is this commandment. And there are three kinds of adultery. When we're talking about adultery, there are three different kinds of adultery. One is physical adultery. It's what you would think of when you hear that word. It is a sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage, someone who's married, having that type of a relationship with someone else outside of someone other than your spouse. That is physical adultery. And while marriage relationships are the primary thing here that's being discussed, we do have to mention sexual immorality as a whole. Any sexual relationship outside of the bond of marriage, whether you're married or not, that's what the Bible calls fornication. It's a biblical word. You've heard it before, but that's what that word means. It's any relationship, sexual union outside of the marriage relationship. And we see that in a lot of of different forms in our culture, don't we? We see a lot of different examples of that in our culture, whether it is two people who aren't married, whether it is 
sex trafficking, that is a, a growing problem. Even in America, we think of things like that happening in third world countries or someone other than, than America, but it is happening everywhere. We see uh, different, uh, different forms of sexual immorality that become more and more common in our culture. Sexual immorality or fornication, as the Bible puts it. Puts it. Now, adultery and fornication... Are, they are different meanings, but they have the same prohibition, the same consequences, the same punishment in the Bible as they are listed. The second form of adultery is mental adultery. The Bible speaks to this. This takes place in the mind. Uh, pornography would be a form of mental adultery. Um, lusting after someone else. Jesus equates that. You've already committed adultery in your, adultery in your heart. Um, these are the types of adultery, physical, mental, and then emotional is another form of adultery. This is developing emotional intimacy with someone other than your spouse, a connection emotionally with someone that's not your spouse that you should have with your spouse. But let's look at God's way in Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. God's rule for the road of relationship is one man, one woman in marriage. In love, anything outside of that is not God's design. It is not God's word. Anything apart from that. So this would be polygamy, which, believe it or not, is still a problem in our country. Um, and that it is, again, in love, homosexuality, not God's design. One man, one woman in marriage. This would include any, like I said, fornication, any sexual relationship outside of the marriage relationship, whether the people are married or not. That is included in this. And God tells us to stay away from that, to say no to that. Just that simple. This commandment is simple. This commandment is also stabilizing. The intent behind this commandment is purity, yes, and maintaining uh, a purity in a, in a relationship, the marriage relationship, experiencing the joys in that relationship and not messing with God's design and the fulfillment that you get out of this. But also it provides stability for our society. We're talking about how the Ten Commandments are a blueprint for society. Well, this commandment provides stability because adultery rocks relationships outside of the marriage. It causes problems. It causes instability. In our society, this commandment was given to preserve the family, first and foremost. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage must be respected by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will, will judge immoral people and adulterers. The primary purpose of the seventh commandment was to protect the family. God designed the family. It's a good thing. It is a fulfilling thing. The marriage relationship is a fulfilling thing, a God-honoring thing, and he designed this commandment to protect all of that, to protect his design for the family. Again, remember, this is God's blueprint, the Ten Commandments, for an excellent society, and society begins with the family. It begins with the family, and nothing destroys a family faster than adultery. God says, this is my protection plan for you. We live in a world where pretty much anything goes, in terms of human sexuality. 
And anything, whatever you decide is permissible is okay, and everybody just has to accept it. That's kind of the, the prevailing belief in our society. The problem with that is, as we've seen, and as I've said, that leads to chaos, because my views contradict your views, and who's to say either one of us is right? So it's best that we submit to a higher authority to an absolute standard that's above any of us. And, and we as Christians, if we are truly followers of Christ, we say that we submit to this as our absolute standard of truth. And it's not about what I think or what you think. It, my opinion doesn't matter. It's about what God says in his word, what he's revealed about what is true in terms of human sexuality and the marriage relationship. And in this world where we seem to be really obsessed with this issue, I mean, think about it. I mean, sex is used to sell everything from cars to hamburgers these days. We're obsessed with it. And, and the reason is, is because it works. I mean, people just, they, they eat this stuff up. I mean, it works. But we see it everywhere. We're, we're, we're attacked at every angle. And so the only reason, if we have any hope of having a life free from sexual immorality, we have to set up boundaries for our lives. We have to go on the offensive, defensive, but offensive with our defense and set up boundaries. You and I can't do it on our own, so God gives us boundaries. Studies show that over a third of married men will cheat on their wives. Nearly a quarter of all married women will cheat on their husbands. And 50% of all marriages are affected in some way by infidelity. I mean, that's a shocking statistic, but it is a common, common day plague in our society. And so we have to, if we have any hope of, of remaining pure in our relationships, then we've got to set up some guidelines for our lives. God says, I've given you this gift, and it's a beautiful gift, and it's meant for your enjoyment, and it's meant to draw you together as, and, as husband and wife. But let me tell you, anything outside of that is destructive. And it's painful and it hurts. It hurts you, it hurts your spouse, it hurts the people that you have other relationships with, it hurts their family, it hurts society. This is a beautiful thing, but when you take it outside of my boundary lines, God says, it is a painful and a destructive thing. This commandment was given to preserve the family and to protect the individual. You know, God knows what is best for us. He's, this isn't like the rules for the rock, okay? It's not meant to imprison us. It's meant to enrich our lives. He, God's not trying to be a supernatural killjoy here and kill our fun. He's trying to create a scenario where we get the most fun out of it, where it's the most enjoyable and the most meaningful, the most enriching. God says, I'm not trying to kill your fun. I'm trying to make your life full, more full than you could ever imagine. God wants to protect you emotionally as well as physically, and it's for your protection and enjoyment, and that's why this commandment is serious. We need to take it seriously. It is a serious command with serious consequences if it's broken. All of the commands have serious consequences, but this one has great consequences. There are societal consequences for violating this command. Proverbs 6.29 so it is with man who, a man who sleeps with another man's wife, he who embraces her will not go unpunished. And then verse 32, same chapter, Proverbs 6. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. There are great consequences for you and those that are impacted, for society as a whole. 
A few years ago in 2015, an Amtrak train carrying 230 people, uh, they were going, this train was bound for New York. And along this route, there's a very sharp curve that the conductor knows he has to take that curve no, no greater than 50 miles an hour. That's the speed limit for that curve. Well, this particular conductor ignored the rules. He took the curve at over 100 miles an hour. Train derailed, killed seven people, over 200 people were injured as a result. Now think about that for a moment. That curve at 50 miles an hour, that's an enjoyable ride, isn't it? It's pleasant. At 100 miles an hour, you go off the rails. In your life and in my life, sex within the marriage is a wonderful thing, the way God intended. But when you take it off the rails, it's a bad thing. It's a destructive thing. It's like a fire in a fireplace. When it's in the fireplace, it's warm and it's enjoyable. But what happens when it gets out of the fireplace? It'll burn your house down. Sex outside the marriage, you're running your life off the tracks. It's a train wreck and it'll burn your house down. Anything outside of God's design is destructive and it's painful, not just to you, but the people that are impacted by it. Whether you're married or not, anything outside of God's plan as it relates to sexual intimacy is a train wreck and it'll burn your house down. Adultery is a big deal socially. Marriage is the building block of a healthy society. As marriage goes, as the family goes, so goes society. Think about it this way. The world is made up of countries, right? Nations. Nations are made up of states or some form of that. States are made up of cities. Cities are made up of communities. And what are communities made up of? Families. And families begin with the marriage. And so as the marriage goes, so goes the world. Society as a whole. And this commandment provides stability in the family and protects that marriage relationship, which in turn provides stability for your community, your city, your state, the country. It is to promote stability in society as a whole. Michael J. McManus asks an important question about uh, this in his article that's titled, Why is it in the government's interest to save marriages? He says this, his conclusion, children of divorce are twice as likely to drop out of school, three times as likely to get pregnant as teenagers, six times as likely to be involved in, or to be in poverty, and 12 times more likely to be incarcerated than children whose parents remain married. Now, can God provide healing and, and can he overcome these things when there is divorce? Yes, he can, but the statistics don't lie. Divorce is destructive to the society, to our society as a whole. And anything that destroys the marriage relationship affects our society as a whole. It's kind of like an earthquake. The initial event is destructive in and of itself, but sometimes the aftershocks can be in wor even worse, can't they? And that's, that's adultery in a marriage relationship. The, uh, the initial event is bad, but, but the aftershocks can be felt from generation to generation to generation. It is destructive to the family, destructive to society, and God wants to protect you from that. Society crumbles when this commandment is not obeyed. There are also personal consequences for violating this commandment. Physically, men uh, who have experienced divorce are 250% more likely, I have a 250% higher mortality rate than those who are married. So your wives keep, help you live longer, men, believe it or not. And they're more susceptible to diseases. 
because of the emotional devastation that it causes. It makes you, it compromises your immune system. Physically, there are problems here. Emotionally, of course, within the relationships, trust is lost. Emotionally, you're, you're, you're torn apart. And it has great consequences psychologically, emotionally, self-esteem, all of those things. Trust issues between you and your spouse, between other people that you see acting inappropriately who are married, people that maybe you work with. You can develop trust issues in the workplace. So there, there are physical, emotional, relational. I mean, if, if this happens, yes, it can be overcome, but there are going to be great hurdles in your relationship. Suspicion, again, trust issues. Relationally, this can be devastating and generational. Again, kids suffer from the things, the sins of their parents. And sometimes for generations, kids of divorce have a higher, girls, daughters of divorce have a 60% higher chance of divorcing themselves. Boys have a 35% higher chance of divorcing if they come from a divorced family. Again, God is bigger than that, but still, The consequences are generational and spiritual. Guilt. I mean, guilt that you feel, guilt before God, broken fellowship with God, any sin creates that, and this certainly is no exception. There are spiritual consequences. We live in a culture of indulgence and instant gratification. If you are a believer involved in any form of sexual immorality, pornography, adultery, let me tell you, in love, you are slowly killing yourself. And you're slowly killing your family. Grave consequences for this outside of God's intent and his design. The truth is, immorality brings brokenness. Plain and simple. Immorality brings brokenness, but purity brings wholeness. God's design is good. And it is just as relevant today as it was when he gave it. Culture doesn't change that. God's standards, the standards that we follow as believers are not defined by culture. They're defined by God's word because they are still good and they are still what's best for us, regardless of what anybody says or regardless of even what your heart tells you. The heart is deceiving, God's word tells us. You can't follow your heart. You have to follow God's word and then you will find, taste and see that the Lord is good. You will find that his way is best. And this brings us to another dimension of this commandment, the spiritual dimension, because this commandment is spiritual as well as physical in application. The first four commandments that we, you know, the first four relating to God, loving him, they deal with how to avoid uh, spiritual adultery. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons. And they will seduce you, your sons to commit adultery against me. What's he talking about? He's talking about idolatry. You know, anything that takes the place of God, we worship anything in the place of God, that's adultery, spiritual adultery, adultery against God by worshiping other gods, he says. So this, the first four Help us avoid spiritual adultery. And then loving God, as we've said, you can't obey the last six unless you get the first four right. Because if you don't love God, then you can't love anybody else because you don't know what real love is. So getting those first four commandments right is key to obeying the last six. And that's certainly the case 
in the marriage relationship. I can't give my wife true love, real love, unless I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way we discover what real love is. Not emotion, not, hey, ooey-gooey feelings. We're talking about committed, steadfast love. And the only way I can give that is if it's the love of Christ in and through me. So we have to get those first four right. Loving God with all your heart is the first step to obeying the seventh commandment. The first great commandment. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus says, love the Lord. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it because you can't obey the second without the first. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Again, both categories. First four, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Last six, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we are shown. We're shown how to do that. God is love, so we can't really love others if we don't love him and if we haven't learned love from him. It's also God who holds families together. You know, this commandment reminds us as husband and wife, mom, dad, that we desperately need God in order to raise our families correctly, in order to have a family that that honors God. We are desperately dependent upon him. So let's look at how we maintain dependence, the four D's. Decide to love the Lord, first and foremost. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Decide to love the Lord. Determine to grow in His love. We grow in Christ. We grow in His love. We learn love from Him. He loves through us because He is love. Dedicate time with the Lord. If you want to protect your family, if you want to stay dependent upon God, you need to spend time with Him daily. Meaningful time. Fellowship with God. Yes, quiet time, studying the word, having prayer time, but walking in communion with God daily. That ongoing conversation with him. And that leads to the, fir- the fourth D, delight in your relationship with God. Savor it and share it. Spend time communing with God. Share your life with him. Live life in communion with your heavenly father. And then share that with other people. That produces dependence, daily dependence upon God. This commandment has a spiritual dimension. And then it also has, is a safeguard, meant as a safeguard. It provides stability, but it is a safeguard for the family and for the individual. Obedience to this commandment requires intentional safeguarding in my life. We've got to make a commitment to God's standard. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. We got to set up safeguards. We start with the Word of God. We we'll know how to stay pure. We start with the Word of God and stay with the Word of God. Catherine Hakim, a sociologist, Dr. Hakim, she was a best-selling British social, a best-selling author, British social scientist. Wrote a book called The New Rules, and in that book, she calls adulterous affairs parallel relationships. She compares married people to caged animals. And says, makes the claim that we should be free as married individuals to explore our wild side. That adultery is, is just something that should be allowed. It's an expression of freedom in the marriage relationship. But here's what God's word says. Proverbs 5.15, be faithful to your wife and give your love to her alone. No one else deserves that. 
safeguards. Adultery is a big deal because of how God created us. He created us for relationships. We see the theme running throughout the Bible, God seeking relationship with his people. Yes, he created us for his glory, and he deserves glory, but he also created us for relationship with him. And we see throughout the Bible God making covenants with his people. Covenants, the very nature of a covenant is that it is your benefit, not mine. I'm putting your needs above my own. There are no conditions. It is steadfast and it's not meant to be broken. Loyalty, commitment. He created us for that type of relationship with him, but then he also wants to have us to have covenantal relationships with other people. And many people experience that by entering into the marriage relationship. And it is a covenant, not a commitment. It's not about me. It's about looking out for your interest above my own. It is, I'm in this for life till death do us part. There are no conditions. There are no bre- there's no breaking of that covenant. You know, we see in the, in the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant, seal of the covenant with God's people was circumcision. In the New Testament, we have the signs of the Lord's Supper, the cup, the bread, and we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, right? Well, in the marriage relationship, there is a sign and seal. The seal of the marriage relationship is the sexual union. And it's been described as sort of a, a, a superglue for the soul. Think about that. If you apply superglue wrong or in the wrong place, what happens if you try to take it apart? It's bad. It can cause great destruction. Well, the same way, in terms of intimacy, if we superglue ourselves to anybody or anything that we're not meant to be attached to, when you separate that, there is great pain and suffering. There's destruction. But when that's within the bounds of marriage and two people are superglued together through that sexual union, it is a beautiful bond and a beautiful covenant before God that's meaningful and fulfilling and joyful. God's design is still best. God's way is best and it provides stability. So we have to safeguard ourselves. We have to protect ourselves from anything outside of that. We have to make a commitment to God's standards. And one of the ways we do that is we magnify the consequences. We need to understand the consequences. Look at Proverbs 6.32. A man who commits adultery doesn't have any sense. He is just destroying himself. And then verse 26, same chapter. Adultery will cost a man all that he has. Hebrews 13.4, the last part of the verse says, God will judge those who are immoral and those who commit adultery. The cost, hear me, the cost of maintaining your marriage, working on your marriage, protecting your marriage, saving your marriage, no matter how great that cost is, the cost of adultery is always higher. Always higher. Whatever it costs to work on your marriage, to make it healthy, whatever needs to go into it, the cost of adultery is always higher. It's painful. And it's difficult. And our culture tells us, especially students, that, that, that promiscuity is just a part of life. But God says, no, that, that doesn't have to be a part of your life. God created sex as a beautiful thing to be shared between husband and wife inside the marriage relationship. And it's wonderful and it's enjoyable when it's kept within that marriage relationship. But anything out of that, outside of that, brings terrible consequences. And for married couples, this should motivate us to maintain our marriages. 
whatever it takes. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Paul says, a man should fulfill his duty as a husband and a, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife. Each should satisfy the other's needs. In verse 5, same chapter. Do not deprive another sexually, one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I mean, God knew that this was an issue and would be an issue. Dr. Willard Harley, a counselor from Minnesota, he wrote a book called His Needs and Her Needs. I used it in my doctoral work. Great book where he talks about from thousands of couples... He drew what he felt like are the top five needs of a man and the top five needs of a woman. As they go into a relationship, these are the needs they're having, they're looking for uh, to be met. For the man, the, the top five most needs of most men are number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. Number three, an attractive spouse. Men are very visual. That's just the way we were created. Number four, domestic support. They want to know that they're supported by their wife. And number five, admiration. We want to be admired. Top, top five needs. Now, women, top five needs of most women are number one, affection. Number two, conversation. Number three, honesty and openness. They want to know you're being open with them, honest with them. Number four, financial support. They want to be taken care of. And number five, family commitment. Now, do you see any similarities in those? Absolutely not. None. God created men and women completely different. And there's intent in that. For one thing, your kids are going to get stuff from your wife that they're not going to get from you as husbands and vice versa. I mean, God's intentional here. But here's what happens. Most men enter the relationship looking to meet the needs that they have in their wife, and they get frustrated when their wives don't respond the way they do. Men go into the relationship, women go into the relationship the same way. They, they try to meet the needs that they have in their husbands, and they get frustrated when their husbands don't respond the way they would. So what's the better plan? Get to know your spouse and meet the needs that they have. That's how you find fulfillment. You know, Mandy and I have always been best friends. We were friends before we were married. And our goal is to be best friends. And the reason is because friendship causes the, the marriage relationship to grow deeper. She's my best friend. We got to have lunch together yesterday. It's the first date we've been on in a while, and we had a blast. We didn't talk about the kids hardly at all, which is amazing. <laughs> they were nowhere around. It was great. But we do. We, I mean, if I have free time... You know, I'm not going to hang out with the guys. I'm going, we're going to go hang out. She's my best friend. I heard Alan Alda's wife say one time, talking about the reason this is so, so very important, being friends, she said, it's real easy to leave your spouse, but it's difficult to leave your best friend. Be best friends. Well, how do you become best friends with somebody? You spend time with them, time, time, and more time. And you get to know them. You talk to them. You find out what their needs are, what their wants are. And as a husband, it's my job to meet her needs, not the needs I have in her, but her needs and vice versa. We also need to manage. We manage our relationships. We manage our thoughts. People don't just fall into immorality. It doesn't just happen overnight. It usually begins with a thought. 
by accepting sinful thoughts. Look at James 1, verses 14 and 15. Temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. It begins with a thought, leads to an action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 2 Timothy 2, 22, in the Phillips, uh, the Phillips paraphrase, turn your back on, on lustful desires and give your positive attention to goodness, integrity, love, and peace. Think about those things. Because sin begins with a thought. Romans 16, 9. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It begins with a thought. Jesus is talking about being intentional and not repeatedly indulging in sinful thoughts, desires. There's an old saying that, that suggests, you know, I can't control whether or not a bird flies over my head, but I can keep it from making a nest in my hair. You know, you, you know there are going to be thoughts that race through your head. You're going to see things that are going to trigger thoughts, but there's a difference between that thought passing by and you camping out in that thought because thoughts will eventually lead to action. And then it leads to emotional, non-physical, as it relates to adultery, it leads to emotional, non-physical involvement. It begins with a thought, and then you take it a step further, developing emotional intimacy with somebody other than your spouse. And this usually happens when married couples have lost that emotional connection with their spouse, and they go looking for that somewhere else, someone who understands, who will listen when their spouse won't. The emotional connection that they desire, that they should have with their spouse. You meet somebody and it seems like nothing at first. We're just friends. They listen to me. They care about me. But be careful because that type of emotional connection should only take place with your spouse, not anybody else. You make an emotional connection that could very well, if unchecked, lead to the next step, which is actual physical involvement with that person. It doesn't happen overnight, but you can get there a lot quicker than you thought. And then, of course, rationalizing the affair, covering it up, covering up your sin. None of us are immune. Watch what you think about. Manage your mind and maintain proper relationships. Ephesians 5.3, sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. You know, some suggestions quickly for avoiding inappropriate relationships. Number one, don't listen to another member of the opposite sex complain to you about their marriage problems. Don't do it. Because suddenly it's, hey, this person listens to me. My husband may not or my wife may not, but this person does. They care about me. Before you know it, even unintentionally, you can give off the wrong signals. All right? Don't you go steer them to somebody that's the same sex as them, a counselor or something. Don't. Don't be their counselor. I mean, even, even if it's some, one of your friends that's the same sex, you know, if there's a problem with their spouse, they need to be addressing that with their spouse, but especially not a member of the opposite sex. Women, don't look to have your emotional needs met by another man. He should be meeting your needs, yes, but don't look to another man to meet those needs. Give those needs to the Lord. See a counselor if you need to. Men, Listen, don't flirt with a member of the opposite sex. Not because you may get sued, which you may in the workplace, but not because of that. Don't do it because it's wrong. 
when you're married, you're not allowed to flirt anymore with anybody but your wife. Plain and simple. Flirting is a game that you no longer are allowed to play. If you're young, absolutely. You see somebody, you can flirt. If you're single, I mean, you can absolutely do that, but not if you're married. Okay, off limits. And be aware of the sense of electricity between a member of the opposite sex. You're in a crowd, you meet somebody, and suddenly there's a spark. Hey, just because you're married doesn't mean you can't have a spark with somebody else, right? It can happen. Conversation, uh, suddenly there's that unexpected, wow, they're interested in me. And you usually know. But you've got two choices at that point. When you sense that spark, you can either run away or you can move towards it and say, hey, this feels pretty good. It's been a long time since somebody's been interested in me like that. So you can either indulge it and enter into the danger zone or you can run away, flee as the Bible tells us to do, and you can give immediately. You know what? I'm spoken for. My relationship with my husband or my wife, I'm not going to do anything to, to compromise, to jeopardize that. And so I'm, I'm moving away. I'm, I'm making it known that I'm off limits, whatever it takes to do that. It doesn't matter if it's a socially awkward thing or not, whatever it takes, I'm off limits. And then, of course, avoid a prolonged stare. You know, in America, there are unspoken rules of what's appropriate and what's not, right? You catch somebody's eye, you linger too long, it's inappropriate. And you know, there's, there, it crosses a line, and it, both people know it. And again, if you are married, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that anymore. If you're single, you can stare all you want. You might get slapped, but you can, I mean, <laughs> take a shot, Right? You can wink at them, give them the guns if you want. I mean, that's, that's how I got Mandy, right? Yeah. I mean, you can do all that if you're single. But if you're married, again, flirting is a game you're no longer allowed to play. It's not allowed. And, and you know when you've crossed that line, a touch that's inappropriate. We've all been there. Somebody hugs you a little too long, touches you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. It's not allowed. Avoid those things, physical contact that's inappropriate, uh, things that will minimize your opportunities for inappropriate relationships. And all of this will minimize the potential for adultery. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. None of us are exempt. We're all in danger of this. Three steps that will help you live an adultery-free life. Number one, first, work on your relationship with God. Start with your relationship with God. You cannot let your guard down. Second Samuel uh, chapter 11, it was David's ignorance about his own vulnerability that led to him committing this sin. Don't think you're immune. None of us are immune. Safeguards. Focus on the Lord. You're, you're, the strength of your relationship with Christ will give you the strength you need not to commit this sin. Anything outside of that, you're not going to be able to do it. Develop a God consciousness in which you live in his presence daily. Number two, pursue a personal purity in every area of your life. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to be pure here and nowhere else. Purity should be a theme of our lives. Pursue personal purity everywhere. Proverbs 4, we see a father speaking to his son. He gives him some pretty good counsel. Verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else. It is the source of life. It begins in the heart. Starts in your heart, your affections, your mind. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about your mind, your affections, and then the father gets practical. In verse 24, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. What starts in the heart eventually will come out in your speech. 
Verse 25, he says, let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Begins in the heart, goes to the speech, and then suddenly, that's what I'm looking at. I allow myself to see things, to watch things on television, on the internet that are inappropriate. Begins with a thought, moves to my speech, and then to what I look at. And then verses 26 and 27, carefully consider the path for your feet. And all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Begins with my heart, goes to the speech. Then I begin to look at things that are inappropriate. And suddenly my feet have taken me into a place and an action that I never thought I would be. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's like a domino effect. Your heart, your speech, your eyes, and then your actions. Personal purity also applies to people who aren't married. Listen, those of you that are single here today, your fidelity to God now will help you be faithful to your wife later, your husband later. Fidelity to God is great practice for fidelity to your spouse. Third, nurture and guard your marriage. If you're going to avoid relationships, if you're going to avoid adultery, nurture and guard your marriage. Be intentional. Marriage is a wonderful gift of joy, but it is also hard work. You have to work at your marriage as long as you're alive. Work, work, and work. It's great. It's, it's wonderful. I love being married. But listen, marriage is hard work, plain and simple. And we have to be willing to put in the time and the effort and be intentional about communicating, about doing what we got to do yesterday, which seems less and less like an opportunity lately, but still date your spouse. Going out and having conversations when the kids aren't around, like you did when you were dating before you got married. Be intentional about communicating openly. And let's face it, guys, it's harder for us to do that than it is our wives. But we still have to do it. Communicate openly. Don't hide in no secrets between you and your spouse. Secrets can destroy a relationship. You know, Mandy has full access to my iPhone, my iPad, computer. We watch the same things. There's nothing I watch on television that she doesn't know about. I mean, full access. Now, I'm not perfect, of course, you know. I mean, I've made mistakes in, in our marriage, but, but that's, the, that's what, there, there should be no secrets. Whatever you watch on television, your wife should know about it. Your husband should know about it. The books you read, they should know about it. My texts, she can open my phone anytime and see all of my texts, all of my emails. Don't hide any of that. Your husband, your wife should have full access to all of those things. They need to know your passcode on your iPhone, your iPad. If you struggle... Get rid of your computer. Get internet filters, whatever it takes to avoid creeping into those lifestyles, those things, pornography, anything that would cause you to struggle. Don't keep secrets and have an accountability partner if you struggle. Listen, have somebody that's going to sit down other than your spouse that's going to say, did you struggle? Did you do this this week? And when you say no, they'll ask you again just so if you're doing it, you'll have to lie to them twice. Accountability. 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person, however, cannot evaluate everything or can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anybody. We need accountability. So the question, if you've struggled with this, is there forgiveness? We preach God's standard, absolutely. Is there forgiveness, though, if you've committed adultery? We also preach grace and forgiveness here because God is a God of grace. There are consequences. There's no way around that, but there is forgiveness and there's mercy God will show you grace and he can rebuild your life and he can rebuild your marriage. He can give you another chance. God's the God of another chance. 
and he loves you. And it doesn't matter your past. We all have a past, folks. I do. Every one of us. And God can offer you grace and forgiveness. But you can only have victory over any sexual sin if you first come to Jesus and then yield to his lordship. Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Confess, you want forgiveness and freedom from this? You confess, first confess your sins to God and then to your spouse. You got to get it out in the open, just like David did. He did it a year too late, but David, he got it out in the open and he accepted the consequences. Confess your sins and then repent, which means to turn from that sin. You got to turn away from it and then get right with the Lord. Allow him to restore you. You know, get a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind about sin that changes action and attitude towards sin. Acknowledge the situation for what it is in the relationship immediately and avoid all contact with that person. And I mean do whatever it takes to avoid contact with that person. Ask and receive forgiveness. God will give it. Seek forgiveness from those that you've hurt. And then, as Jesus told the woman, sin no more. Move away from that. In the power of God, the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Here's what this is about, folks. Living in the will of God by the power of God brings the glory of God. And it brings God glory. It brings the glory of God in your life, but it also brings him glory. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes this commandment to a new level under grace. Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It's a matter of the heart. Matthew 5, 15, 19. From the heart, from the heart, evil thoughts, murders, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemy. It's a matter of the heart. But think about this. When Jesus is talking about this in Matthew 5, is he telling us to literally gouge our eyes out or cut off our hands? No. Picture doing that. What, what, what God is saying, what Jesus is saying is that whatever in your life you struggle with, get it out. Get rid of it. Move as far away from it as you can. Because here's the reality of how many of us deal with sin. It's like this garbage can. We put, the, I put this garbage can on the very edge. And I'm going to pray, dear Lord, please don't let this garbage can fall off the edge. That's how a lot of us live our lives. But what happens here? What happens here? What's it take? That's all it takes to fall off the edge. Timmy, Ethan, one of you guys, can y'all come grab the garbage can? Thanks, Timmy. He wanted the money a few weeks ago, but he didn't want to. But that's a lot of us, right? We live on the edge. Lord, please, please don't let me fall into adultery. Don't let me look at that on the internet again. Lord, please don't let me struggle with this anymore. Keep me away from that. We're living on the edge. But what we should be doing is drawing a line in the sand and living as far away from it as possible. Lord, please keep me away from that line. There's a lot of distance between that can and that line, right? That edge. If we want to overcome this or any other sin, God gives us a way out. 
And it's a pretty simple piece of advice. Run away. Flee immorality. Resist the devil. Flee temptation. Run away. And I will give you the strength. But part of that strength he gives us comes with distance. We've got to get it out of our lives. Move away from it. A few summers ago, y'all probably remember this. Y'all remember the famous Ashley Madison hack? That website that set up. The sole purpose of this website, it was, there was a hack and all these people who had committed affairs were uncovered. It was all uncovered. This company, this website was established in 2002 with one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to help married people cheat on their spouses without them finding out about it. There was a billboard that was up, life is short, have an affair. That was, that's their motto. If, you know, I wouldn't recommend registering, but if you go to their website, that's the first thing you'll see. Life is short, have an affair. They're, that's their goal, is to give you the opportunity to do that. Now, a lot of people got found out, and, and that's a, you know, your sin will find you out. God's word is pretty clear. But here's something interesting I found. The co-founder of this company, Amanda Brigger is her name, and here's what she said in an interview. Life is short, having affairs, what you'd expect, right? No, this is what she said. If my husband cheated on me, I'd be devastated. Well, of course you would. Of course you would. And here's why. It's not God's plan. It's not God's design. I don't care what anybody says, life is short. No. Yeah, life is short. Love your spouse. Love your wife. Give her your love alone, God says. God's standard is best, and it's meaningful, and it's fulfilling, and it's joyful. It's not always easy. Marriage has ups and downs. I can tell you right now, it's not easy living with me. She'll tell you. It's not easy, but it's joyful, and it's meaningful. And one man, one woman for life is still the best because it's God's plan, and God knows what's best for us. The eternal pleasure of Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy you eternally. God's plan for your life is the only thing that will satisfy you in this life and throughout eternity. And God says, as it comes to any sexual immorality, just say no. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us so very clearly your standard. We know this is a simple command. Obeying it's not simple, but it is a simple right and wrong And you couldn't be more clear in your word. And I pray that we would commit to this, that we would build families and marriages that are filled with meaning and purpose and joy the way you intended. And if there's somebody here today that struggles with this, Lord, I pray that you would give them victory over this sin, that they would be willing and brave enough to confess whatever they've committed to to you first, to those that they've hurt, and that they would begin the journey of restoration that only you can provide. Lord, I pray that we would all take seriously the rules that you give us in Scripture and for our lives. And as it relates to the family, that we would protect and guard that with your strength and your guardrails, that we would obey your instructions to protect our families at all costs, knowing that that will in turn protect our society and rebuild the type of society that honors you. Lord, if there are other decisions that need to be made here today, I pray that we would make them, that we would be willing to boldly in front of your your people profess faith if if it's salvation if it's church membership if it's baptism that we would be willing to do that and be obedient to you whatever it is that you've called us to do father i pray that we would be pleasing to you in this moment and beyond 
For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?